All right, good deal. New song? I thought so. I'm getting old and sometimes I don't remember what I've sang or what I haven't sung before. Okay, tonight we want to revisit what we talked about this morning. And I'm, watching, I'm listening to the songs that we sang tonight. There's a fountain in this last song. I'm running to your arms. I'm running to your embrace. Jesus, Jesus. You know, and I think about how does that tie in what we want to talk about today. And that is the chastening of God. How does that work? And, you know, when we think about there's a fountain filled with blood and all that Jesus Christ did for us, when we truly understand that, begin to that out, then all of what God wants to do in our lives, and remember his to-do list, I'm still sticking by it. Bring glory to His name, bring people to the kingdom through His Son, Jesus Christ. Glory to His name, bring people to the kingdom through the Lord Jesus Christ. We even saw it this morning in the idea of the idea that the Father says, if you're not bearing fruit, then I'm going to lift you up, and that involves me bringing corrective action to your life so that you wear, will bear fruit. And if you're already bearing fruit, I'm going to prune you. And I promise you, if the vine could talk, the vine would say to the vine dresser, no, not again, please, they're so sharp. Those, those, those shears are just so sharp, not again. But... The vine dresser has an idea that you were created for a purpose. And that purpose was not merely to look green on the vine. You are not left here just to hang on the trellis. You are left here to fulfill a divine purpose. And that divine purpose is to bear fruit for the kingdom of God. And that's true of us. God says, I love you so much. It's not about him not loving or loving. Or even, and you're going to hear in the scripture tonight, him almost, it almost sounds like he's angry when David talks about God. It's not about that at all. It's about God loving us so much. He has a purpose for us. And he will do whatever it takes to bring out that purpose in our lives. Even if it causes us pain. And even if it causes us discomfort. And it doesn't change the truth we just sang. It doesn't change, my Jesus, I love thee. It doesn't change any of those things at all. It's simply a different aspect of that powerful and great truth. Now, I've really bitten off more than I can chew tonight. And I, I'm, I'm going to try to get you out on time, okay? So you don't have to leave early. But we need to really go back to Hebrews chapter 12. What we're going to find out we're going to do tonight is I'm going to take you on a journey. And you're going to get your pencil out and write down the references. I don't have time. I don't even pretend to have time not to preach these scriptures. But I want to show you what it looks like when God works in a person's life. And like I told you this morning, I'm not sure. I, I, I've been hesitant to talk about this. Uh, I'm, I'm always hesitant to talk about my personal spiritual life with you publicly. But there's something going on in my life that I can't put my finger on. I can't point to a sin that God is chasing me with. But at the same time, I know there's a holy discomfort in my life right now that I can't put my finger on. And I don't know what it is. I don't know if it's something pastoral or something personal. I just don't know. But I know I want to dance with Jesus more than I am. And I want there to be more of an intimacy than there is right now. That's what I know and that's where I am. So this was a very interesting and challenging message for me today. But we've got to look real quick at Romans chapter, uh, Hebrews chapter 12. And again, let me just kind of read these scriptures and take you on a journey. Write the references down. Then I want to challenge you this week to go back and look through these very, uh, very beautiful and very intense scriptures. Now, I want to go ahead and take a moment. And read all the way, starting at verse number 3 in Hebrews chapter 12, okay? You know, we started out with, the, you know, see what comes about so great a cloud of witnesses scripture. But listen to what he says here. He says, For consider him, capital H, Jesus, for consider him who endured such hostility from sinners against himself. He's talking about the passion of the cross. He's talking about the crucifixion, all right? Lest you become weary and discouraged in your souls. Anybody get weary and discouraged in your souls? Besides your pastor? Come on. Anybody? Anybody? Come on. I, I'm, I'm wanting a response. Anybody? 
Yeah, we do, don't we? We do. And sometimes, watch this, I'm sure this, sometimes that weary and discouragement is from busyness. Sometimes that weary and discouragement, I do think, is from sin in our lives. Because when we have unconfessed sin in our lives, it's like a thing that sucks the energy and the joy and the power out of us. I think it's all of that. Okay? Then he says this. You have not yet resisted to bloodshed. In other words, you haven't suffered like Jesus has, striving against sin. Okay? And you, here's what we picked up this morning. And you have forgotten the exhortation which speaks to you as sons. You know, the, the author says you've forgotten this. My son, do not despise the chastening of the Lord, the corrective action of the Lord, okay? Nor be discouraged when you are rebuked by him. Um, for whom the Lord loves, he chastens, and scourges every son whom he receives. Now, sometimes I think it begins with the gentle nudge of the Holy Spirit. I think when I sin, and I, I think you're going to identify with this, when you sin, when you speak unjustly about a person or something, there's that little thing in your heart that goes, you just sinned. And that is God. Have you ever said at the dinner table before and mama give you the look? You know, you used to get the look. You get Actually, Judy used to get the pinch. Judy's mama, when she was cutting a fool in church, okay, would reach up and grab the little, well, of course, she didn't have much fat, but her little skinny arm and get that little fleshy part right there and pinch it. And that was, that was her mama's way of saying, I'm trying to get your attention. So I think the first thing when sin comes in our life, God just simply says this. Hey, I want to get your attention and let you know you've sinned and you need to repent. Say repent. Repent. You need to turn from the direction you're going and go in the opposite direction. Okay? It's time to take action. And then if we don't listen to that, that we go to the rebuke. Again, mom used to say, Dwayne. And she had a way of saying it that I knew that she was saying one step further from the look was calling my name out in sternness and saying, Hey, I'm talking to you. And then, if I didn't obey, then it would go one step further. And I really can't remember what was between the, the, the Dwayne and the spanking. I don't remember, but there was something between. Nowadays, you, you put them in the chair, you have time out, you take away their DS or you know, whatever. I don't know. But there's somewhere in there that you have that third step. And then finally, like I say, sometimes I got spanked. Okay? I think sometimes God, God starts with that gentle nudge of the Holy Spirit. And then sometimes he, you know, he, he speaks our name in a stern way. And then sometimes perhaps a little something. I really think a little something sometimes is a dryness. Sometimes, you know, David, it's, it's unusual. David in Psalm 51 that we're going to try to look at tonight if we can get that far. You know, he said, restore to me the joy of my salvation. Part of what David went through in his sin was the loss of the joy of his salvation. There's a dryness. Now, I'll tell you what, if you ever experience the joy of the Lord, amen, you ever experience the joy of the Lord, and you know when it's not there, it's a dry time. It is a painful time. Amen? Do I have a witness tonight? If you've ever experienced the fullness of God in your life, and all of a sudden that fullness is not there, it's a very painful thing. And God does that. I think part of that is taking us out into the desert, into a wasteland. It seems like he spent 40 years talking to the children of Israel about that. And then sometimes we get corrective action in our lives that's very stern. Not that he's angry at us, but he's trying to help us be fruitful. Because we are branches on a vine that's designed to bear fruit. He doesn't punish for punishment's sake. He's trying to accomplish something in our lives, and that's to bring us to fruitfulness. He goes on and says it real quick. If you endure chastening, God deals with you as sons. Oh, well, that's what we want. For what son is there whom a father does not chasten? 
But, but if you are without chastening, of which all become partakers, say all. See, God chastens everybody. Come on, amen? It's not just preachers or just deacons or, or some people. God chastens all of us, okay? But if you're, dark, if you're without chastisement, then you are illegitimate and not sons. If you've never had chastening of God in your life, whether it be the convicting or the look or the nudge or the punishment, and he says, you're not a son. There's something really, really wrong with that. Furthermore, we have had human fathers who corrected us, and we paid them respect. In other words, you know, if, if you had halfway your sins on, even after Dad spanked you when he did it legitimately in the right way, you'd go, Dad, I know you love me. I know you had a purpose and a reason for doing what you did. So we, respect, we show them respect. Shall we not much more readily be in subjection to the Father of spirits and live? Should we not more openly, watch that, that embrace that David sang about? Does that embrace not include embracing God and saying, God, thank you enough to bring correction in my life that I may be the fruitful person you want me to be? For they indeed for a few days chastened us as seemed best to them. But he, capital H, for our profit, that we may be partakers of his holiness. Now, no chastening seems to be joyful for the present. Anybody enjoy getting a spanking? I didn't even enjoy the look. Okay? All right? Now, no chasing seems to be joyful for the present, but painful. Nevertheless, afterward it yields the peaceable... What's our word? Fruit. Peaceable fruit. Fruit of righteousness. Do you see the correlation between vine this morning and this scripture? As we, as we go through the chasing process, we produce this fruit. Okay? The personal fruit abides with us. The peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. Isn't that incredible? So, so come on now, don't get quiet on me. I'm not going to let you do that. Okay? I know, see, see, in Western culture, this teaching's been ignored. Because it's not pleasant. We want, God loves me. Jesus died for me. I'm going to heaven. But there's also this part that God said, yes, all that's true. But I have a purpose for you. And that purpose is to bear fruit for me, not you. It's not for your satisfaction. It's for me because I created you to bring glory to me. So that's, that's the concept. That's the idea. And let me, I'm convinced, if this isn't happening in your life, then again, you need to check your salvation. Uh, Dwayne, did you just say that? No, God did. I think I read that verse accurately from the New King James Version. Hey, did I? So, so... So we need to understand that, that we should be going through the chastening process as part of our lives. Okay? It's part of who we are and God's relationship with us to bring about this fruitfulness. Now, I wish, and again, I just told you my struggle. I wish it was always, but I know God wants me to know. I don't think he, I don't, he's not the kind of God who takes me through a, a chastening process without telling me. That's why I'm not so sure it's chastening as much as it's pruning in my life right now. I don't know. I could be wrong. Um, but, but I think he wants us to know. I wish it was all as easy as David's sin with Bathsheba. I wish it was so easy, so blatantly to see. There was no doubt what that whole story was about. But sometimes, and, and I think it's because it's... What's this? What's this? What's this? Listen, listen. Because it's socially acceptable sin, we don't see the need for the correction in our lives. Oh, we... We get somebody caught in adultery and, whoo, man, God's going to zap you. Get back. Lightning bolts are coming. We have no problem with that. We see a person hooked on drugs or alcohol. Oh, 
but because of the socially acceptable sin that's allowed in the church without too much chastisement from the people, from the church, or from God, it seems, we could be going through the chastening process and be totally unaware of it. Things that I call sins of the heart. Bitterness. Unforgiveness. Jealousies. These are all things that Jesus Christ died to forgive us of. And when we allow those things to exist in our life, if I understand scriptures correctly, the Father's going to bring about corrective action to help those get rid of. So sometimes it's easy when it's a David adultery thing, but I'm going to challenge you this week and maybe in the coming weeks and maybe, maybe for a lifetime to really examine your life to make sure there's no, what's the Song of Solomon 2.15 I said, I think says, it's the little foxes that steal the grapes. The little foxes in your life that you allow to exist as sin and you almost, because they're socially acceptable, ignore them. And consequently, there's no joy in your life. There's no victory. There's no power. There's none of those things that we long for. And we say, what's going on? And it could be, it just could be that God is gently taken through a chastening process. But we got the big one tonight. Now, again, in about 19 minutes, I'm going to do my very best to take you through this, and it ain't going to happen, is it? It ain't going to happen. All right, write these scriptures down. We're going to begin in 2 Samuel, okay? 2 Samuel and chapter 11. So go ahead and take your Bibles there. 2 Samuel chapter 11. Just going to read a couple of scriptures real quick, because you know the story. It starts by saying this, 2 Samuel 11, 1. It happened in the spring of the year. At the time when kings go out to battle, that David and jo- that David David sent Joab and his servants with him and all Israel, and they destroyed the people of Ammon and besieged Rabbah. But David remained in Jerusalem. Oh, what a setup, man! How many times have we heard sermons on this? David was not where he should have been. Okay, he should have been out leading battles. Instead, he was at home with nothing to do. And it's not in the Bible, but an idle mind is the devil's. Workshop, And sure enough, he's bored one evening. He goes up into the rooftop, sees a beautiful woman bathing herself. But, you know, who is that woman over there? And da 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 And before long, he goes and finds out this is Bathsheba. And oh, by the way, she's married to Uriah the Hittite. And because he's the king, he says, I don't care who she's married to. I want her. Okay? So he brings her into the, to the palace. And they have relations together. And then she goes back home. Okay? End of story. Not. Not. She sends word to the king. I'm pregnant. And so David says, what am I going to do? I know what I'll do. I'll bring Uriah home from the battlefront. And he can have relations with her. And then we'll say, I know it looks like David, but it's really your kid. There's no DNA testing back in those days. Okay? And so Uriah, more of a man of character than David was, refused to sleep with his wife because his soldiers were out in the field. David got him drunk, did all kinds of things. So finally, in desperation, David says to Uriah, I know what, I'm sorry, not to Uriah, since the domestic Joab says, put Uriah, Uriah in, the, in the hottest part of the battle. If he perishes, he perishes. And guess what happened? He perished. He died. How convenient. And then he, could, you know, he sent for Bathsheba. She mourns a little while, brings Bathsheba into the palace, and the baby is born as the son, or excuse me, was not, well, he was born as the son of David. End of story. No, it wasn't. Because, see, David thought all that stuff could be hidden. But it wasn't. See, God, God held David in high esteem. He was called in the Bible as a man after God's own heart. So, have you ever wondered what happened? 
Have you ever wondered what happened the eight, seven months after he brought Bathsheba into the, to the palace and find out she's pregnant and brings her into the palace and between the time the child was born? Have you ever wondered? I told David I want the band of brothers to kind of investigate this because there's a very interesting scripture in Psalm 38. Go ahead and take your Bibles and turn there. In Psalm 38. And something is happening in David's life that is very, very dramatic. Very dramatic. But this, this could possibly be. This is not recorded of David ever having this kind of a sickness, okay, in the Bible. But like, I think John Phillips said this, David. I think John Phillips, who's a great commentator on, on Psalms, said this is not the kind of thing you would record for your most popular king in history. You know, you would, this is something you would hide. But all the appearance is, is that David has some kind of a serious illness possibly connected with his sexual sin with Bathsheba. Let me read just part of it to you. Look at Psalm 38. Oh, Lord, do not rebuke me in your wrath. This is what I told you. you know, he's, he's convinced God's just angry with him. Do not rebuke me in your wrath, nor chasten me in your hot displeasure. For your arrows... Now, keep in mind, this is God's chastening. For your arrows pierce me deeply, and your hand presses me down. There is no soundness in my flesh because of your anger, nor any health in my bones because of my sin. Did you get that? This is not a casual illness. David recognizes whatever's going on in his life is because of his sin. For my iniquities have pulled me down. They have gone over my head. Like a heavy burden, they are too heavy for me. My wounds are foul and festering because of my foolishness. I am troubled. I am greatly bowed down. I go mourning all the day long. For my loins are full of inflammation. There's no soundness in my flesh. I am feeble and severely broken. I groan because of the turmoil in my heart. Lord, all my desire is before you and my sign is not hidden from you. My heart pants. My strength fails me. As for the light of my eyes. Talking about the twinkle of his eye. The life in his eyes. David was a man who loved music. He, he loved life. He says, that light is gone from my eyes. It's gone. My loved ones and my friends stand afar off, aloof from my plague. And my relatives stand afar off. Those also who seek my life lay snares for me. They who seek my hurt speak of destruction and plan deception all the day long. Whoa! Now, he acknowledges that whatever is going on, watch him fix rock your world, it wasn't allowed by God. It was caused by God. See, David had sinned. And, and if you'll notice, by the way, the greater the sin, if there is greatness in sin, was not the adultery. It was the murder of Uriah. Because in Psalm 51, he says, I have shed, shed innocent blood. Adultery is horrible, but David was also guilty of murder. Those two things. And because of his unwillingness to make it right before God, it appears, if in fact this is connected with Bathsheba, that God sent a horrible disease during that seven months, six and a half months time when God is just chastening David. And i got to tell you, I can't find the Bible where he quit. In fact, Hebrews is New Testament, isn't it, David? I can't find where he quit. But Dwayne, would God do that? Well, if all you believe in a great, loving God who all He wants is to do, you know, what you want to do. But if you believe that He's a vine dresser who's per, who recognizes you with a purpose and that purpose for you to bear fruit, yeah. Yeah, I think God would do that. Can I have a witness? 
How much pain do we bring into our lives because, as David said, our own foolishness. And we may not commit adultery, but how much joy, how much abundance are we missing because of the little foxes mentioned in the Song of Solomon 2.15? How, how much of our life is so empty spiritually? How, how, much, how much are we missing the abundant life because of the junk that we allow in our lives? And God says, I'm going to put you in a desert. And some of you have been there 40 years. And you wonder, why isn't this Jesus thing all it's cracked up to be? Could it be, perhaps, you've never understood the horribleness of sin that nailed Jesus to the cross. And whether it's adultery or lying or unforgiveness or bitterness, it's still sin. And when it remains unconfessed and unrepented, then God brings chastening into our lives. I don't know if this is connected or not. But it seems logical sense, given the description, you can take this to the band of brothers. Given the description, it sure sounds like something that would have happened after some sort of sexual sin. Don't know. You can, you can read that and wait out in your mind later on. So that's what happens. So here's what's cool. God did not leave David in the dark. Okay? He sends a guy named Nathan to confront David. You remember the story? The Ulam story and all that? Okay, we find that in 2 Samuel and chapter 12. Go back there real quick. Come on, i got to hurry. i got to get David on the road. 2 Samuel chapter 12, verses 1 through 10. Then the Lord sent Nathan to David, and he came and, and, and said, da-da-da-da-da, the story of the Ulam. You read that later on. But then he says to David, you know, David says, this man needs to die. And Nathan said, you are the man. You are the man. And David said, the gig's up. I have been discovered. <laughs> he didn't realize God knew all along. God knows all along when our sin is there. I, the preacher may not know it. You may not know my sin. But God knows it all along. You are the man. And because of this, because, because of that, there were what? Consequences. Say consequences. Sin has consequences. Sin has consequences. Look at me in verses number 11 through 15. Thus says the Lord, because I will raise up adversary against you from your own house, and I will take your wives before your eyes and give them to your neighbor, which, by the way, the guy's name was Absalom, his son, and he shall lie with your wives in the sight of the sun. You did this secretly, but I will do this thing before all Israel, before the sun. So David said to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord God. And Nathan said to David, the Lord has also put away your sin. You're not going to die. However, because by this deed you have given great occasion to the enemies of the Lord to blaspheme. May I read that again? Because of this deed you have given great occasion to the enemies of the Lord to blaspheme. The child also who is born to you will surely die. Because of David's sin and his unwillingness to confess that sin, complain with God, God said the child is going to die. And we say our sin does not affect anyone else. There's a Greek word for that. Baloney. Baloney. We are family. And when we sin, it impacts the family. And it's not just when the pastor sins or Brother David sins or Brent sins or one of the staff or Sunday school teacher or a deacon. 
when we allow unconfessed sin, and I just wonder, guys, is it possible that's why there's no rampant revival power in the church today? Because there's so much little foxes unconfessed sin allowed in the church today. God says, I can't work in that environment. Is it just possible? Because our sin does impact, infect other people. So, David confesses here, I have sinned. And if you don't have this written down where you can readily get to it, write it down tonight. Psalm 51 is the record of David's coming clean with God. God has chastened him. He's recognized his sin. He comes clean with God, first with Nathan, and then he writes a psalm that we can read today. And it is a great story help for you when you finally come to it and you say, you know what, there's, there's blatant sin in my life. Then this is the journey home. Look at Psalm 51. Did you write that down? Psalm 51. Listen to this. Written by a man after God's own heart. Have mercy upon me, O God, according to your loving kindness, according to the multitude of your tender mercies. Blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. Watch. For I acknowledge. Say acknowledge. I acknowledge. I don't offer an excuse. She was beautiful. I was lonely. I was bored. Didn't know what to do. Hey, I'm a man God, you know. And I know I'm a man. I'm a God. I'm a king, you know. And so you know God. I acknowledge my sin. And my sin is always before me. Watch this. Against you, you only I think, God, I recognize that this sin I've committed is against you. I've done this evil in your sight that you may be found just when you blame and blameless when you judge. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity and in sin my mom conceived me. Behold, you desire truth in the inward parts and the hidden part you will make me to know wisdom. Purge me with hyssop and I will be clean. Wash me and I will be whiter than snow. Make me hear joy and gladness that the bones you have broken. Remember I said God caused this? The bones you have broken may rejoice. Hide your face from my sins. Blot out all my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God. Renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast uh, me away from your presence. And do not take your Holy Spirit away from me. And I'm so grateful, by the way, that's not New Testament. Because the Holy Spirit will never leave us. Amen? Not true in the Old Testament, but true for other church. Here it is. Verse 12. Restore to me the joy of your salvation. And uphold me by your generous spirit. Verse 13. And we'll probably stop there. Then I will teach transgressors your ways and sinners shall be converted to you. Lord, do this. Blot my, blot my sin out. Don't take your presence from me. God, don't place me on a shelf. God, put me in a position where I can still be used by you. And God, I've been in a desert. God, I've been dry. There's been no joy in my life. Oh, I still get a little kick when I go to Walmart and buy a new TV. And I got a kick when I went down to the dealership and bought the new car. But God, the truth is, it wore off in three months. Because, God, I know the joy that I'm talking about only comes from you. God, restore the joy 
of my salvation. Create in me not a dirty heart, but create in me a clean heart. And God, when, now watch, when you do this, not if you do this, He knew God. God's a God of restoration. Come on, say amen. God's a God of restoration. God loves you. God wants you to be fruitful. That's what this is all about. Then, I will teach other people about this. I'm going to use this experience, God. I wish we could get this down in the New Church, the New Testament Church. We're going to talk about confession in a couple, three or four or five weeks. I wish we could get to the point where we would have some people courageous enough to say, you know, this sin was in my life. I'm not afraid to judge me or not. This sin was in my life. I want to tell you, don't go there. Because when the preacher stands up and says, don't go there, you say, well, the preacher, you're supposed to say it because you're the preacher. But when a brother stands up and says, don't go there, there's power in that. I wonder how many men can be saved from affairs by men who've had an affair and say, don't go there, the cost is too great. Women who've had affairs and say, don't go there, the cost is too great. Men who embezzled from work or, or did this or got hooked up in prescription drugs, don't go there, the cost is too great. I wonder how many people be saved and redeemed because of our authenticity before the people of God. I will teach transgressors thy way. Wow. Do you think that took place? Flip over, finally, to Psalm 32. And it's a cool journey. Isn't it cool? It's recorded for us in the Word of God. Here is the teaching lesson from David. There was the sin. There was the chastening. There was the confrontation. There was the confession. Recorded by first with Nathan in Psalm 51. And now we have what I call the contemplation. He's contemplating. He's teaching others about God. And here's what he says. Blessed, happy is he whose transgression is forgiven. Hey, you want joy back? Then it comes from confessing your sin. You want your peace back? It comes by coming clean with God. Blessed is the one, blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man to whom the Lord does not impute iniquity, doesn't charge iniquity, and whose spirit there is no deceit. He says, I got my joy back when I had revival with God. I got my joy back when I confessed my sin. I got my joy back when I came clean with God. Mama didn't know. The deacons didn't know. But I got my joy back when I came clean with God. Then he remembers. He said, let me tell you what life was like. When I kept silent, when I didn't confess my sin, my bones grew old. Through my groaning all the day long. And you know, this is interesting. What was David famous for? He was a singer. The light of his eyes and his voice was his joy. And this great singer went from being a worshiper to a groaner. Somebody groan. Mm. Is this not powerful? You ever wonder why so many people struggle with worship? Could it be because they're groaning? Could it be there's so many little foxes still in the grapes that there's no fruit and God's saying, I'm trying to work in your life? He says, man, I went from singing and I started groaning. For day and night, your, capital Y, your hand was heavy upon me. My vitality, my joy, my energy was turned into the drought of summer. Think about that. I acknowledge my sin to you. 
and my iniquity I have not hidden. I said, I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. Salah, John Philip says, so what do you think of that? And he's teaching these people. He said, I've been there. I've been through this. I've done this, guys. And when God forgave me, I got my joy back. Don't keep silent. It's a bad deal. It's a bad deal. For this cause, everyone who is godly shall pray to you. In a time when you may be found, surely in a flood of great waters they shall not come near him. You are my hiding place. You shall preserve me from trouble. You shall surround me with songs of deliverance. I will instruct you and teach you. This is God speaking. I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will guide you with my eye. Remember? The look. Remember? The look. I want to guide you with my eye. I want to guide you not with a a spanking pole, not even with the drought of the desert. I want to get your attention with going, Dwayne, I will guide you with my eye. Don't be like the horse and don't be, sorry, Dwight, don't be like the mule, which have no understanding. Now, whenever I preach this, Dwight always comes up and I understand the mules are the most intelligent creatures in the world. Okay? Do not be like the horse, but they are stubborn, aren't they, Dwight? Or like the mule which have no understanding, which must be harnessed with bit and bridle, else they will not come near you. And then he finishes up with this. Many sorrows shall be to the wicked, but he who trusts in the Lord, mercy shall surround him. Be glad in the joy, Lord, and rejoice in your righteousness, and shout for joy, all you upright in heart. And that's the process that God wants to bring you through. Not so he can say, gotcha. I'm the boss and you're not. I'm going to show you. Come on. That's not God. God's the loving pine dresser. And said, I will pick you up out of the dirt and I'll do whatever necessary to get you up on the trellis and cleaned up so you can bear fruit. So you can have the joy of your salvation back. I'm telling you guys, it might be because I'm 57 years old. It may be a couple books that I've reading or partially read. But I'm just telling you, God is trying to wake us up. And I'm talking about Dorso Baptist Church and His church in America to the God He really is. And He is love and He is mercy and He's grace and He's joy. He's all those things. But He is a God who says, I want to bring glory to my name. I want to bring people into the kingdom. And I've created you for a purpose. And that purpose is not to amass toys and wealth. Not so you can come to church and feel good about yourself. I've created you to be fruitful for my kingdom. And I'm telling you this. If vines could talk, if you could find a vine, excuse me, a branch on that vine, and it's just laden, David. It's just laden with fruit. Clumps of grapes like you've never seen. If that vine could talk, you'd go, mm-mm-mm-mm-mm. I never thought it could be like. This. And that's God's purpose for your life. Would you bow your heads right there? Oh, guys. I know there was times when when my mom and dad spanked me. I was just sure they hated me. I was just sure they were trying to kill me. And I know it seems that way from a human perspective with God sometimes. But I want to tell you, that's a lie from hell. Your Father loves you immensely. 
But He does have a purpose. He does have a plan. He wants to bring glory to His name and for you to be fruitful. And my hope is this. I don't know where my... I'll let you know where my journey ends. This isn't like I'm depressed. This isn't like, you know, I'm feeling sorry for me. I'll let you know my journey ends. I'll let you know if it's pruning or correction. I'll let you know. But I know this. I want to dance with Jesus like I've never danced before. Father, have your way in our hearts today. Just spill the myth. Just spill the myth that's been painted by pastors and perhaps even by the hand of false teachers. That somehow you are all about us, not us all about you. Father, help us to spill the myth that these little foxes that steal grapes really don't matter because there's such bigger fish to fry. There's such bigger sins to worry about. And Father, many of us are in deserts of dryness because of casual, socially acceptable, church acceptable sin. And God, we know, I know, that no sin is acceptable to you. So work in us. Bring us to where you brought David. Where we can say, blessed is the man. Blessed is the man whose sin is forgiven. And Jesus, I pray this in your precious name.